Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am a story career consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination through one-on-one consults, seminars, and teleseminars. And I am so thrilled to have with me as my guest today, Prentice Penny, And Prentice is currently on the show, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He is co-executive producer. And let me tell you a little bit about Prentice. A native of Los Angeles, Prentice grew up spending a lot of time in front of the television. Even though he was a huge UCLA Bruin fan, Prentice attended USC's School of Cinema Television. He majored in filmic writing, and upon graduation, he was not given a three-picture deal. Met with the sober reality that he had to now become a professional writer, Prentice wrote, directed, an independent feature film, You Say Tomato. While he continued to write numerous spec TV specs at night, Prentice worked several day jobs. He worked as a substitute teacher and tutor at a foster home for two years. I love that. In 2004, Prentice got his first break as a Writers Guild trainee on the UPN show Girlfriends. He continued to work his way up to executive story editor over the show's final four seasons. In 2008, Prentice was hired on Fox's Do Not Disturb, starring Jerry O'Connell, and in 2009 was a producer on the hit ABC show Scrubs. In 2010, Prentice started working on the critically acclaimed sitcom Happy Endings and was there for three years. He was a supervising producer on that show. Prentice has been nominated for two NAACP Image Awards, Outstanding Writing in a Comedy Series, for ABC sitcom Happy Endings. Prentice has not only staffed consistently since 2004, but he's been developing. In 2011, Prentice sold a pilot, How to Con Your Kid, to ABC and Fox, eventually settling on ABC. And now I found out right before we began that Prentice sold another pilot. So tell us about the pilot you just sold. Uh, the pilot I just sold, there's no title, working title for it yet. Uh-huh. But essentially it's a light one-hour drama to NBC. Excellent. And it's mainly in the tone of the Lethal Weapon kind of movies where there's humor yeah. and a lot of drama um, and a lot of action. That is fantastic. I'm so. What's the name of it? Is there's, there no, there's no title There's no yet. title. You said that. I'm excited. Yay. I can't wait to see what happens with that. <laughs> Uh, in between a stint on the three seasons of Happy Endings, Prentice was a producer on Fox's 2011 TV show Breaking In, starring Christian Slater. During the summer of 2012, Prentice created and executive produced his first series, the NAACP award-winning series, The Hustle. Build as the first scripted hip-hop dramedy, The Hustle is the Fuse Network's landmark show featuring such guests and stars as Jada Kiss, uh-huh, Jada, Jada Kiss, Kiss yeah. Freddie Gibbs, and DJ Ski. Uh-huh. Okay, great. Prentice is currently a co-executive producer, as I mentioned, on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And the reason I am so beyond thrilled is because I knew Prentice on Girlfriends, and 
I recently saw an episode that he wrote for Brooklyn Nine-Nine that I just thought was beyond brilliant. So to know that you have just skyrocketed and been on all these incredible shows, it has just been amazing to watch your career. Oh, yeah, you knew me when. Yes, <laughs> I did know you when. So I love that. Yes, and yes. I love your story to that. You know, before we started the interview, we started talking about, and it's an important thing, so I do want to start with this. We started talking a little bit about racism in the business and what it was for you to go from working on a show like Girlfriends mm -hmm. into the mainstream. I would love for you to shed some light on that for writers. Yes, I was uh, saying that Girlfriends was obviously a primarily an African-American show. And that's where I sort of, again, like, you know, had gotten my first job. And um, when I like when Girlfriends was canceled in 07, um, I went on a show called Do Not Disturb again with Jerry O'Connell. And it was. Uh, very much like a mainstream show, very much it was an all like primarily all white cast and an all white writing staff, and I was the only person of color on that show, and it, it sort of showed me again like you always hear about like you know you hear the politicians come out and say like racism in this business, and obviously there's racism in sort of every business there is, but what it showed me was that. Like any anytime you get a show on the air, it's very hard to do. It's it's extremely hard to get a show on the air. And when you do, you want to make sure that you have people who you trust and you want to hire your friends because you're like, I've worked with these people. I know I can count on them to be funny. Like they're going to be good in the room. It's going to be a good working experience. And if most of the shows you're working on all have white writers, then the people you're going to continue to hire are mostly going to be other white writers. Right. And so it's not, so then you talk about if a writing staff has 10 spots open right. and you hire immediately five of your friends, then that immediately shortens up exactly, you know, like there's only five spots and now you have 300 writers right. competing for five spots on the show. Right. Well, that's just, you know what I mean? Yes. So, so eventually, if your writing staff has one Latino person or one, it's like, it just is a cycle that kind of repeats itself. So it's not that I've learned, it's not that people are trying to be more, like trying to like alienate per right. se. Right. It's just that you just hire who you know and if the people you know happen to all be of one uh, be of one race or one color then it just sort of continues and yes. so because then those people get shows in the air then they hire their it just keeps going and so it's not an intentional thing per se it's just a sort of thing that just sort of continues to keep happening which is good why it's good to have like diversity programs to yes. sort of allow other people to have a chance as well so I love that I love that and you came into your career through a diversity absolutely program. yeah absolutely. so tell us about the WGA program and how that got you started on your well career. it's so fun like now that's sort of, I think that program is gone now it doesn't right. really exist because there's because all the networks sort of have a diversity like program but back then I think ABC was the only one that had a diversity program per se right and the writers Guild program was good the sort of problem with it was was that it was completely voluntary of a show right and be the show had to foot the bill like right. now the networks will pay yeah. for that thing so it's not coming out of the show's budget i mean right. certainly not a staff writer's salary is not killing the budget certainly right. but um still like like the, like back then the show had to pay for it so i remember having to call shows a lot and, right. and like every year and say hey are you doing this program now most of the shows have never heard of this program like never heard of it because the writers guild didn't really like push hard to enforce it or strongly like there was no incentive to right. say do this program and again right. it was voluntary like yet they didn't have to do it right so so most of the mainstream shows didn't do it right. and so obviously more of the shows of people of color did right. the show right um because they um understood the benefit of that yeah and um uh mara Right. Who, who created Girlfriends, who hired me, just happened to... Mara Brock Akil. Mara Brock Akil, who has the game and being yeah. Mary Jane, um, 
her first job on Moesha was through that program. So right. she was a big advocate of like doing the program, doing the show. So my wife went to college with uh, one of the writers in the show named Karen Gist. Of course. They both went to Spelman University. Yeah. And my wife happened to run into Karen at a picnic one year in like 2001. I think when Karen was in the program, matter of fact. Right. And I wasn't even working in the business yet. I was just working, writing at night and being a substitute teacher and all these things. Right. And uh, I sort of befriended Karen after my wife met her. And right. I just would like sort of hound Karen and have Karen read my specs at the time and sort of, but they weren't doing the pro, they did the program with Karen in 2001, but they didn't do it again until 2004. Right. So when 2004 came, Karen was like, look, they're doing the program. You know, give me your uh, spec. And I just—I happened to have written the Scrubs. Right. And uh, that Scrubs got me hired as a, a writer's trainee on the show. Great. Excellent. Yeah. I love that. See, I love to hear, I love to hear success stories when all, everything is in alignment. Yes. And things are meant to happen. It's funny because that's a very, I condensed a, obviously a, yeah. a three-year journey of getting my first job. Into, but it's like, yeah, that's the hardest thing as a writer. It's like you, you got to always stay, you know, like ready and motivated because you never know when that when opportunity gonna is going to happen. Because, you know. But I think you, you touch on a very big point because I cannot tell you, I like I had a recent consult with this phenomenally talented writer and she hasn't made her break yet and she's. She's had this other incredible job for 10 years, mm -hmm. and I said to her, you know, I'm telling you, like, you are ready to staff. And and she said, well, I have all these contacts in the business, but I don't want to be too pushy. Oh, it's no. like, no, understand, <laughs> no. <laughs> be pushy. Absolutely. If, if someone Absolutely. needs to know a great writer, Absolutely. You, they are not doing you a favor by reading you. Absolutely. There is a mutual... Yes. Favor going on there. Yeah, it is not one sided. It is not at all. Yes, I agree. So so I love that you touched on that because it's so important to recognize right. half of this business is you go out and create your yes. destiny. And I, I totally yeah. understand that because it's, yeah. it's not really in my nature to want to be pushy right. or to like feel like I'm begging people or right. feel like I'm like imposing. Like that's a huge, which is part of the stuff that I just was like, and my wife was like, look, either you're going to do it. Or you're not. And right. so, like, like doing small talky stuff is not my thing. Right. Right. But it's like, look, this is what you got to do. Like, every job has the part of the job you hate. Right. You know? And yeah. you, it can't just be all the fun, yeah. creative stuff. There's another part of the job. Yeah. It's like, you got to hustle. Yeah. And that's just part of it. I'm it saying, is you know? part of it. But that's how things happen. That is how things so happen. I, I love that. So, I would love going into... Share some of the highs and lows, which mm -hmm. that was some of it, of being a comedy writer. So, like, when you think about when you were starry-eyed of what is it going to be like to be working on all these hit shows, and now you have a string of top comedies that you've worked mm -hmm. on, what is the the perception versus the reality? I think the perception, I think some perceptions are, are right, right <laughs> which is right. it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, you get to, like, laugh and joke a lot all day. Mm -hmm. um, you get to just do crazy write crazy things that you're just like, this is insane. And then somebody will go make that happen. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot of, I think the, the the best I've had two look, every show I've been on has been special in different ways. Right. Um, girlfriends and happy endings were special to me in very different ways yes. where they both felt like a family yeah. in, in a way that is, and obviously those were the shows I was on with a, 
the run was longer. Right. Like Breaking In, Do Not Disturb, and Scrubs, those were all sort of one and done type things. And in right. Brooklyn, we've only had one season as well, as well as Breaking In. Right. Um, so obviously, the more you're around people, the more time you can spend with them. But they just all, like, girlfriends felt like we were doing something that other African American comedies sort of weren't doing. Right. Um, whereas a lot of them felt like big and sort of broad. Like, Mars thing was always like she wanted to create a single camera feel in a multi camera show. Right. So we felt like we were trying to do something that was unique and different. And in the same way that Happy Endings was, was that we felt like we're this little bitty show that, like, nobody knows of right and we're we're sort of like working because we had no air day at the time right like we weren't the like like at like at that year cougar town and mr sunshine with matthew perry were going to be like the big abc shows and we were like this sort of afterthought again no air day when we were making the show right we just knew we were doing 13 episodes we were like look they're they're just going to be the funniest things that we can do. Right. And we sort of felt like we were doing something special, but we couldn't. But again, we're just doing it in a vacuum. We just had right. no idea people would respond to this stuff, but we loved it. We were laughing. Right. But so, the, so, again, sort of the highs are like feeling like you're creating something that like you just know in your gut can be special. Yeah. Even though you don't have the validation of that. Right. And I'm actually reading this book right now from Russell Simmons about about meditation and things like that. And right. one of the things that he's talking about in the book is that so much in our culture, we get focused on success and failure. Right. As like those as the benchmark as opposed to thinking about this, the success is in the journey, not yes. saying whether this show is a hit or not, because right. you just have no control over that. You have yeah. no control of the, of the outcome. You have no so control of the fruit. The joy. So be in the um, joy, like be yeah. in the joy of the, of the work and, the, and right. the harvest as opposed to, is it bearing fruit or not? Right. Um, I love that. And so, and so that was sort of, I think, like a high. It's feeling right. like watching these things sort of come together. Um, you know, like lows are like anything. It's like if you have a story that gets completely thrown out because the network is like, nope, this doesn't work at all. Like you're just like, it's dev- it's devastating. Right. You know, feeling like you just can't figure out something. or, or it's, I think it's the thing of being unable to solve the puzzle. Yeah. Feels like those are like the lows. You yeah. Know? I mean, there's not a lot of lows. I mean, we look, we get paid lots of money. Right. Like, and, and every writer complains about the network. And, and that's true to a right. degree. But for the most part, it's like, that's a very small. Yes. That's a very small portion of your day. Yeah. And things that have to deal with. And yeah. usually, like the fixes, like every writer comes back from a notes meeting and is like, "Oh, they want to, they want to, what are they thinking? They don't want. Why do they want it? It doesn't make any sense. If we do that, we just unravel the whole. It's like there's this whole like sort of like um, Oscar Madison approach that we have to getting like network notes. You know what I mean? Right. Right. But but the truth is, it's like they're they're pretty usually easy. F- yeah. Fixes and. Yeah. Um, and so for the most part, like those are easier things that right. I think every writer gets frustrated when like a joke's not working or it's just not coming together in post. Like those are like more so the lows. I, right. I you know, most of the staffs I've been on have been relatively good hours. Right. So I don't have lows of like, you know, Brooklyn was the longest hours I think that we put in because our staff was small. So there right. was like not that many people to do a lot of the work. Right. And we were trying to figure it out as a first season show. Right. So, the, I mean, obviously lows are like, you know, I'm getting home late. Yeah. I don't see my kids as much. You know I mean? Like it's more personal lows than yeah. I feel like creative lows. And, yeah. I, and I've been very blessed. A lot of the shows I've been on, you know, I've liked, I've liked working with on those shows and writing right. those voices. I, I haven't been on a show where I feel like this show is like crap. I, right. You know what I mean? Where I, feel like I hate myself. I hate, I hate the show. I've been very proud of the on. shows, you know, yeah. whether or not they've been successful or not. Right. I've been very proud of them and I've been very proud of people I work with. So right. my, so, you know, so my lows aren't like, yeah, you know what I mean? Right. No, I think that's great. I love that you talked to that and you may have kind of answered this a little bit, but, but I would love to expand on it even more. So with the type of humor, 
So talk about like the type of humor of say girlfriends versus Brooklyn Nine Nine, and right. like how you approach humor. You know, it's like uh, it's different too. It, it's I've been on shows, and it's been a blessing to have been on shows where the tone of the shows are very different. Right, like Mara's approach is very understated. Um, it, it actually probably falls more in line with Brooklyn, where Dan Gore who comes from Parks and Rec and The Office, likes, likes doesn't like what I would call like the jokes we would do in Happy Endings, which were very right. pop culture-y, right. quick, a lot of jokes per the page. Dan sort of liked more nuanced tone of like The Office and Parks. Right. Where like a much more grounded approach where David Cass from Happy Endings liked a much more quick and kind of a more crazier and when I say zany, like you think of a bad thing, but it's not. You know right. what I mean? Like it's a, it's a, a it's little over the top. A little over yeah. the top, and yeah. he was, and but it was smart. It was, yes. a, it was. They, they were very smart jokes, um, and so, um, so he that was his approach. So I've worked. Again, and you know, like Scrubs is a different kind of joke right. you know, with Bill Lawrence. I mean, those are different because you have fantasy sequences and pop sequences, and you can yeah. do these other things. And so, uh, every was show, that hard to adjust to? It's. I will say this: it's, it's easier to me to do a show that's already has a tone. Right. Whereas, like Girlfriends, that show when I got there was year five. Right. So they are. We already knew what the tone of that show right. was. You know, Scrubs is. You already know what like a yeah. fantasy sequence with. You know, Zach Braff was going to look like you already right. know. You know, um, so it was easier to walk in. It was easier that. to walk in yeah. and do that. Whereas, like on a show like Happy Endings in Brooklyn, you're sort of you're creating it as you go, yeah. And you're trying to figure out like there's no template yet. Like right. as the like you're trying to figure it out as the showrunner's trying to figure mm-hmm. out like what's our tone. Yeah. You know what's too far, what's not far enough. Right. You know. Right. Again, and it always translates too. Like I always say, like. Uh, a show like the showrunner has to think what's in my like what do I think the tone is right and then when the actors get in there does that fit what the actors do great right or not right and then does it fit what what my writers are doing you know what I mean yeah. so like so I, I would say like Dan coming from Parks had one approach I think he wanted to make it be Parks in a cop setting right but our cast and our tone because we can just do different stuff wasn't as crazy as like parts can be with like little Sebastian, like a mini pony and right. and other and other kind of like broader things, and right. so he had to learn as we all learned, like oh well, as it started off like this, but our show is probably going to fit more in this tone, and, and right. having to be okay with that, and, right. and learning how to write then that tone. Yeah. So I, you know, it's like anything. So I, I say with happy endings, like if you I always say, like if you look at the first season of happy endings, it's much different than by season three. Right. By season three, it was like joke, like it was like. Joke after joke. A joke after yeah. joke after like yeah. if you blinked, you were gonna yeah. miss like eight jokes. Right. You know, whereas the first season it was a little it was a little bit calmer. It wasn't crazy joke heavy. Right. Um and so again that's just figuring out the See, show and, like I love what works that, for us. Though, and, but yeah. I, I love that like you say, like I think everybody thinks when you get to be a showrunner, like you know everything and everything. No. And it's like, no, it's almost like your show. And the network and the cast, like it's all speaking to you. It is. And it you're is finding the identity absolutely as you go. I always say, yeah. like, it always feels like to me. Well, it was it was two, uh, two things to that point. One, I feel like a show. The first time you get a show on the air, it's like buying fabric for a suit, right? And you, in your mind, you you think, oh, this is how I want my suit to look, right? And then as you go along, you're ta- all season, you're tailoring the suit, yes. And then you might lose a little weight, and you yeah. might say, like, oh, I'm going to trim this fat. Oh, instead of a a two button suit is going to be a one button suit. Oh, maybe yeah. I'll add a vest to this suit. You know what yeah. I mean? And yeah. so by the end, you're like, okay, this is how my suits are going to look. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and so it's that, but it's that whole season of finding out what the actors do well and what right. they do. And you start to then just write yeah. to that, Toward act, that. Like, you know, yeah. like to their strengths and, yeah. and, and move away from what they don't do that great. Yeah. And and one of the things that I learned from David Cass 
until I got to Happy Endings, every person, right. every show I'd been on, the showrunner had worked in television before. Right. David Cass had never worked in TV before. Right. He had just sold like two movies, and this was like his first time being, you know, being in charge of a show. Right. And one of the best things he did was say, I don't know. Right. Like, you guys have been doing this longer than me. If you right. guys think this is the best way to do it, cool. I'm, I'm okay with that. I trust That's you guys. Great. And it never, and I was like, he showed me. It, it's okay to say I don't know, right? And that's the and that's obviously, huge. yeah, it's it's a huge thing because yeah. you don't have to act like you you know have it together all the time. Right. You don't have to act like you know every single thing, right? You know, part of why you hire a writing staff is to say I like what you bring to the table. Yes. I like what you bring to the table, and you bring this that I don't bring. You yeah. know what I mean? And so we're all sort of like potlucking our talents, that. absolutely, yeah. and bringing yeah. and appreciating that, yeah, and and more so trusting in that yeah. and saying like I trust you. And the thing is too is like. Look, you're going to make some good choices and yeah. you're going to make some bad choices. Some of it's like, going to work okay. and some of it exactly, isn't. Exactly, exactly. But I, I think that's the gift of TV. That's what I love about it working is. in TV. You get to see. So now what about has humor always come natural to you? Is it something you grew into? Did uh, you know in college you were headed that direction? I think, uh, I think humor came to me inadvertently. Uh, like humor came to me not wanting to be funny. Right. Uh, like my dad's side of the family is very funny. My yeah. mom's side not as much. But I would find myself, I always wanted to be the cool guy. Right. And like the cool guy that doesn't like have to speak. Right. Um, and But I, I always would end up in situations where I was messing up. Yeah. And stuff would like, I wasn't cool and I would like stumble and then it just, I was like, I'm denying who I am. Like And like right. once I was like, look, I'm just, the, I'm not, I'm in the, in the, in the, I was always like with like the cool popular group, but in right. the cool popular circle, I was like the funny guy. Like right. I wasn't the guy that was gonna like in the movie. I'm not Channing Tatum. Right. I'm like Jonah Hill, right. and I didn't want to be Jonah Hill. You right. know what I mean? I wanted to be the yeah. other guy. I was. Yeah. I was like. I'm, and so once I accepted, oh, it's cool. I'm okay. I'm okay right. with being the right. funny guy. Yeah. I can make people laugh. I can make girls laugh. Then I was like, I accept. And once I did that, then it was like I was cool because yeah. I was not running from like not trying. You know what I mean? But yeah. like in high you school, were embracing. Nobody, I was embracing yeah. who I was. And like yeah. in high school, I would always end up in situations with like, I remember one time in high school, like everybody comes back after summer and like right. you want to be like a different person. Yeah. Yeah. And so I told myself, I was like, hey, when I go back to school, I'm going to be the guy that like doesn't speak. Right. And so I was like, I'm going to just sit against a wall and like read like a Ray Bradbury book and like act like I'm like just I, I'm above this. Right. And so my friends were watching me like be dark and brooding and like my Wayfarer sunglasses right. and like look and they're just like, who? What, what? And people were just making fun of me. And I was right. just like, what am I doing? Like for two weeks, I wouldn't speak to people or I would speak real low. They're like, hey, what's up, man? I'd be like, hey, you know, it's cool, man, whatever. Like, I don't know, man, school's whatever. School sucks. Right. And I, I was like talking like that for like two weeks, you right. know? And I was like, and I was like, who is this guy? But I would do stuff like that I and it would it. always backfire. Yeah. And I would get made fun. And it was just like, and you get like, made fun of. And you get made humor fun of. would be born and there. Then, right. And yeah. so a lot of my stuff yeah. comes out of like a lot of pain and I I get it. But no, but that that's where all of yeah. it comes from. I mean, it's understanding how to access and mine your pain. Right. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I think that's great. Um, now, when you're writing a script, what what is your process? Like, say, let's take, I know every show is different, mm -hmm. but so let's take your current show. Sure. So you're going into your routine of writing a script. Where do you start? Me personally, or what is the writer's room? How about the writer's room? We'll start with on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. On Brooklyn Nine-Nine, again, like every, again, every show is is different, right. and you sort of take from showrunners what works for you personally to your right. process. So um, 
in, in Brooklyn, we sort of sit around and talk about, and Brooklyn's a different show because there's a lot of plot elements to our show that's not just the normal, like, so-and-so is dating so-and-so and they right. got to go on a double date. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not, so you have you have that personal element where you're telling personal stories, but then you also have a procedural element to the show right. that, that has to exist, too. So, yeah. so sometimes we'll break a show from the standpoint of, oh, we heard about this, like one of our, like we have two police consultants and they might have told us about a crazy case. Right. Like, oh, that's an interesting starting point. Right. And we say like, what if Jake finds himself, Andy Sandberg finds himself here? Right. Um, so sometimes stories come out of the plot. Right. And then sometimes the stories might say, look, we need to tell, uh, we need to, like we have an arc and we need, to, we need to have Charles start dating somebody. Right. Because we want to, hit on Charles and Rosa being jealous. So yeah. let's do a Charles dating story. And so it'll also come from that standpoint. The boil over. Right, exactly. Love so that. so yeah. uh so so on, yeah. on Brooklyn they, they they come from various places which can either be plot driven or right character driven as well. Yeah. But but personally what I how I write is Yes. Is it's something I have adopted from girlfriends. Right. And I've sort of adopted some things from I mainly adopted how Bill Lawrence breaks stories and how Mar in terms of what works for me and right. I sort of have a hodgepodge of both. I remember and I sort of didn't ever have a process. Right. I was just sort of writing. Right. Um, and I would have an outline, but I didn't have a process. And, right. And um, I was writing on girlfriends, and it was after I got hired my first year. I think it might have been the first year you got there. Right. Was I had a script, and my first script. The first year I was there, they loved, like, my B story changed. It was like the B story, I don't know if people know, it's like a secondary story behind the main story. Good. So my main story was almost like verbatim, like jokes, like it barely changed. And I was right. like, this is awesome. Like, right. I'm, like, from the, like from my writer's draft to the shooting draft, it's almost just like the same. Right. And I was like, this is incredible. And then the, I thought I couldn't do any wrong. And then the next season, my first script was like a page one rewrite. Right. And it was like kind of okay. It right. wasn't great. Like, look at me, it wasn't great. Right. Um, and I, it just like, devastated me i was just like i just, i was like what it was so it was embarrassing and like every writer has that happen to them but yes. it was still just part of the process it's totally part yeah. of the process and it wasn't so much me it was how we broke it right but also i didn't do a great job on it right and i was like this will never happen to me again at least not on my part i right. will always so i decided to i started to ask myself what are the questions mara is going to ask herself right like what is the showrunner going to ask right and so i do a process where um like we'll break the story in the in, in whatever room I'm in, it doesn't right, matter. We'll right. break the story, and I'll ha and you'll go off. Everybody will go off and write an outline of right. the story. And sometimes the outline has jokes, sometimes it doesn't. It just depends on the showrunner and what they want. Right. And after that outline, what I do is I personally go through it. I have a checklist, and I've right. learned to condense my checklist, and I can answer my checklist faster now. Right. But my my process is I ask myself. For every scene, what is this scene about? Before I right. write anything, Love it. I just say, what is this scene about? This scene is about uh, Andy Samberg wants to ask so-and-so on a date. That's what that, the core of the scene is about. And then I'll say what, 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 like what Andy Samberg's character wants and what the other character wants. And then I'll say, what's the subtext? Like, what are they saying without saying in the scene? And okay. I'll just start to answer a question. I'll say, well, the scene is actually... At the core of it, it's about him being insecure to ask. So then I know I'm. So I'm just trying to ask myself questions as, as I'm writing the the as I'm going to write it. I know I have to hit these moments. I have to hit these things. And then I start to ask myself, well, how do I act if I'm insecure? How would this person act when they? So I, I'm asking a bunch of questions before I even write one thing of dialogue, one thing of a scene. Right. And then I go through and I say, what are the physical? Okay, so this is what has. So this is what the scene's about. And then I ask myself. Well, what are the beats of this scene? Right. Like what? Like so, they're in a coffee shop. Right. So then I say, well, is there a funny? 
a downbeat to the scene. And a downbeat is like the way to start a scene. Sometimes it's like a funny way. Mm-hmm. It might be a funny joke. It might be a, a funny like action-y thing. It could yep. be a funny physical thing. So I say, well, what's a downbeat of this? Like, what's the beat of the scene? So I say the first beat is maybe Andy comes in in a funny way or he's wearing a funny outfit or he's right. doing something this. And then I say he approaches her and he asks about her day, but really he's not at, he's just trying to stall. So he's right. asking about her day, but he's really trying to stall. Right. But, and then I just go through the beats of it. Yeah. And then, and then I, so I have, I may, a scene may have, Eight beats, it may have four, it may right. have whatever, based on the, the uh, if it's an A story, if it's a B story, if it's right. a, a runner. Right. And then once I have all the beats out, and I have, I know what all the beats of the scene are, I know what the scene's about, now I start sort of writing in a loose way. Right. I may, and I may have a funny joke, and, and as I'm doing this work, I think what it allows me to do is I can tap into the scene without, sub- subconsciously, I'm getting yes. into the scene without having to sit there and go, uh, interior coffee shop day, what? You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I'm, start, I'm thinking about it so... And as my brain works, it may even jump ahead. Oh, this is a funny line in yes. this scene that this character can say, or this is something funny that they can do in the scene, or, or maybe there's a funny waitress that won't stop right. it, that keeps interrupting them. So I can, I can, I have a comedy, mo- I have a comedy moment right. that I know I can re- that, that I can play into in and out I of the love scene. That. So and that's just ha- and it's just happening as I'm just thinking about the scene in general. Yeah. And then I'll just start to, I'll start to just start to write the scene. Good. And then a lot of times my first drafts are. I say I'm like I'll write dialogue I know because I don't want to get bogged down. Right. Because I know I work better once I see it on a physical piece of paper yep. and I can I, and I still a hand write. Draft. I have a vomit yeah. draft and literally like, like my vomit draft might have joke to come. Right. But it I'll write like joke to come, but funny areas might be Andy talking about his horoscope, uh, him being a ver- I, I might just brought like or I it could be a that. funny yeah. thing about Andy talking about recycling. There's a funny joke here about Andy. So then as I'm so when I go back and rewrite. I'm like, oh, what's a funny joke that Andy, a, a funny viewpoint Andy might have on recycling, or a funny joke he may have on the way coffee tastes? Because I'm just thinking, of, I'm not trying to worry about do I have the joke yet, but I think this is a funny area, mm-hmm. and I'll come back to it. Right. Um, and so a lot of times it'll just, or I'll say, uh, so so a lot of my first drafts are like 50 pages, you know, of like a 28 page script, and it'll just say joke to come, and it would be like long runs. I don't censor them. I just say, uh, I know I'm gonna, I know I'm gonna you know cut through this even though i'm hugely insecure at that point because i'm just right. like this is not going to be funny I, don't, I just have a bunch of joke to come lines i got right. so much work to do but then once i start getting in there you start knowing i don't need this segment this is a this is an offshoot this right. is taking me away from the scene i don't need this and you just start going in and like cutting yeah. so, then I, so then even i'll cut even more fat initially even if i don't have the joke yet i know i'm not going to use this run i thought was funny right whatever it's like what and then what happens is you say, well, the good thing is I only have to fill 30 pages. I got right. 50. I don't need to fill 30. Right. So I'm going to just, all I'm going to do is condense to the best jokes. It's like you're just like trying to like reduce a sauce. You're just like, yes. how do I get this reduction to the sweetest, most savory point? And right. it's just getting, it's just reducing all of that stuff. And then I'll just reduce, 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 reduce. I love so it. That's no, sort that, of my process. That is an excellent, I love how you, you frame that and, and put that out there. I think that's great. With uh, on that note of Brooklyn Nine Nine, so if if writers and you know it's going to be a big spec script mm-hmm. out there, what are some things that you would tell writers like when you're writing Brooklyn Nine Nine, you should think about this? Uh, I would say definitely make sure Andy's your A story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like don't do a Excellent. thing where uh, yep. as much as you can make it be a Jake um, Andre Brower story or a Jake Amy story, right? Or even a Jake Joe Latrulio story, right? It, I mean, definitely the theme Jake is your A story, right? Uh, um, I think just try to be, don't overthink the plot. 
Like, because most of our plots, we would overthink it like it was a drama. Right. And at the core of it, it's like, when, it was like, even with us as writers, whenever we start to hear Andy give these long runs about how they solved the crime, you're just like, blah, 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 right. I'm going to go to sleep. And right. you just don't care. You're like, it's a yeah. comedy show. I don't need that. I don't need the, we actually would pull a lot of, in post, we would pull so many twists and turns. You're just like, nobody cares. You're right. allowed, like in a half hour, you got three stories. You don't want to ramble. Yeah. You can't ramble and yeah. you can't have a bunch of twists. You can have one twist. Yeah. That's it. You can have yeah. one, like, Andy thinks she's going down one road and yeah. he's wrong. And right. you got to fix it. Like, that's as yes. much plot as you should have. It's right. like, oh, Andy thinks it's the butler. It's actually the maid. And right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's as much of a twist you should have in it. Because when we read it, we don't, like, nobody cares right. if it's, like, what the twist. It's like, don't make it be, like, a, I got a super cool case. We don't. We right. actually probably don't care about that. Right. Um. So it's more so, again, just about, like any sitcom, like, what are the yeah. character And I thought, obviously, as the year went on, we got to, because, you know, you start to invest in the characters as the right. audience and as the writers, right. that by the end of the show, it was like our plot stuff didn't even matter. It was like you were trying to hook up Jake and Amy. We're trying to do this between our characters. You know, we're trying to build relationships. And so I, I think at the core of it, even though it's a cop show, it's it's a procedural comedy. It's still just like make it be about the characters at the end of the day. And, right. And, you know. No, I love that. I think that is excellent advice. So the Golden Globes. This yes. was huge. Yes, Tell yes. me about what that experience was like for the show. Um, it was great. I mean, I don't think any of us thought again that the show was gonna win. Yeah. Uh, or even be nominated. I mean, like we just weren't thinking like that because again, like the show was not a ratings mammoth like the modern family or the big bang theory and it wasn't like a big like critical show like girls or anything like that so we were just sort of like completely flummoxed that it was even nominated and 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 we were going up against you know modern family and big bang theory and and girls and we all and parks and rec was nominated for the first time in six years so wow i didn't even realize that yes and and our creator created parks and rec right and he created brooklyn 99 yeah so we so we were like oh parks is gonna win it's like amy proler and it's their time right because all the other shows i think had won before and so um, I was sitting at home um, and uh, watching it on TV, and then I saw, and, 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 then, and then like Andy Sandberg won. And you're like, oh, we might actually, if they liked Andy, right. I think we might actually win this thing. And yes. then they, they nominated us and we won. And Those it was were just like, two huge wins. It was crazy. I mean, yeah. it, it just sort of put us, I think it starts to put us in like Emmy discussion. It just is, at least it just asked a question. You know right. what I mean? Like, should Definitely. this show be nominated for an Emmy? Or, and it puts it on people's radar more than, right. obviously, had it not. You know yeah, what I mean? definitely. So, um, you know, you never complain. And it about. earned it. I have to say, like, I am, I am a very, I'm a big critic on comedies. Because I think good. a lot of comedies are not funny. That's good. And I love this show. It's good like, to be a part yeah. of a show that, like, the like the like the like the masses sort yeah. of know like yeah. happy endings was like very specific yeah. it was like you had to be a specific like my dad yeah. was like i just watch it and see your name because yeah. i can't follow it it's so fast right. so like people who i meet who love who are happy endings fans like yeah. love happy no endings. i loved it too but it, but, but it was a very yeah. niche yeah. thing where yeah. like now you're like oh there's a bunch of publicity for a show i'm on you know what i mean yeah. like it's a much and I can suddenly say, people are like i gotta check this out right. this exactly. is cool exactly exactly yeah. No, I love that. I love that. And what does that do, like, for the morale of the show? Like, when you return to work after winning the award, yeah. what was that like? <laughs> was, is there pressure of, like, oh, my God, now we got to keep this You know up? what? I never, we never thought about it as, like, more pressure or right. less pressure. And it right. didn't. And if there was, then Dan Gore, one of our co-creators, did a great job at, like, keeping that from us. Right. Um but we didn't feel in the writer's room like, oh, now we've got to like, we were right. like, we're, because at that point too, you're also like, by the time we won, yeah. 
we're the season was almost over. Like right. we were like on episode like 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 we won in in January. Well, we wrapped in end of February. You know what right. I mean? So like yes. we were on episode like eighteen already. So yeah. we only had like three more to do. So it wasn't like if we were stressed, it was like you know we couldn't like who cares? We're like already and again like we had broken like all the way up almost up until the finale. You know what I mean? Yes. So at that point, we're like, well, we're not gonna undo. Yeah. This, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, so I'm you were just, on a roll. Yeah, we were and on a roll. And you kind of used it as fuel rather yeah. than... And it was like, why mess yeah. up what we got going? You know, no, but let's I just love keep doing that. It, you know? Now, would you say that the show has found its formula now? I think we're still finding it. I think yeah. this season will be more indicative of like what will be right because again we're, we, we like we always vacillate between like what's too much plot right what's not enough plot and i right. think season two we've got to like i think we've got to like start getting into more of even more so our relationships because that's right. what people are going to love like we ended the episode on a cliffhanger between jake yep. and amy we ended on a thing where joe latrulio and chelsea peretti have slept together so there's right. a lot of like you know i think we'll start to the emotional component. emotional stuff and i think yep. we'll start to like go into more of like who captain holt is personally right, right. who um you know what's you know what's terry cruz's thing besides just having kids and stuff right. like that and you know so i think we'll have to like what's roast like all of our sort of like Second tier main cast, right? Outside of like Andy and and and, and Andre Brown, those people that will have to like start to get more right. into and like what makes them tick on, on top of the normal procedural stuff. But like right. at the end of the day, it's like nobody remembers. Like I couldn't tell you what the cop thing was in in an episode, but I can say, oh, this was a funny moment or this was a funny thing. You know, I mean, nobody remembers that because because that's not really our show. Our show is not the SVUs or, right. this, the, or those shows. You know what I mean? And so. Do you know what's interesting, though? I just had this conversation with a writer. I said, here's what you got to recognize. The internal story, it's almost the internal side of the A story, mm-hmm. is what's going on in the personal life of the character. Yep. And when I look at shows like The Blacklist and I look sh- at shows like The Good Wife right now, I'm not I'm not running back to those shows to see the case. Right. I am running back to those shows to see the emotional response right. of Alicia after Will right. is gone. And not spoiler alert. And and I am running back to the blacklist to see what's going on between right. her and her husband. I, I totally because agree. That's what, that's what I care, care about. about right. You know? I care about the question. Absolutely. Being posed in that art, absolutely, and, yeah. I, and, I, and I think it's and I think Cable's a good model in terms of like you look at shows like Game of Thrones or Mad yes. Men or Breaking yep. Bad. It's like you're not like you don't care how much meth he's cooking. It's like what crazy thing is he gonna Walt's gonna do this week yes. with Jesse or what is yeah. you know he's gonna let Kristen Ritter die? Like you're yeah. like that's the stuff that you're just like yeah, these like the those moments. Care. And yeah. and I remember even growing up, like you know, it's like to me, it's like I don't remember certain plots behind shows but I remember yeah. the episode where like Dan and Roseanne got into a fight and they threw over a table and that's how the episode ended yeah. I remember when Sam and Diane finally kissed in cheers I remember yes. in Cosby when they would dance and yeah. seeing Ray Charles on like it's like moments like that that I think it's like nobody cares about the plotty no. stuff it's like people care about moments Yeah. and I think that's what like the Ross and Rachel moments or the yes. Jim and Pam moments like yeah. that's what I think people eventually like you know are responding to not the, I agree. The, like the plot stuff. I remember on the Hardy Boys when Jamie died, Sean Cassidy's girlfriend. I will forever remember that. <laughs> I was like, what, twelve years old then? I will remember. The scars that. you still I like, remember it the with song you. that they played. Oh they played God. bread song. If <laughs> I remember it, because it, it made me feel. It resonates. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I love that. 
Um, so let's see. You've been nominated for two NAACP Image Awards for your work on Happy Endings. Tell us about the stories that you wrote and what you think resonated thematically about those stories that led to the nominations. Um, I'm, the one I remember the most right. of the two of them was this one I wrote called Meet the Parrots. Right. Which was basically a story about um, uh, um, Dave's character on Happy Endings, his dad and his mom, who his dad was played by the, the great Michael McKeon, um, who they're they're getting a divorce, and Dave's dad starts dating Penny's mom, who is Megan Mullally. Right, and uh, and it was a, at the core of it an episode about Dave having to deal with his dad and mom getting divorced, and right. not when they've been together, Excellent. you know, like married so long, and and and, and my parents were divorced, and right. so I I tried to write from the standpoint of. I tried. I tried. I and my parents separated when I was five. Right. So I, my, my thing was, well, what's funny? Dave is thirty something. So I'll just make Dave act like a five year old, who has to. He's acting like a five year old. Which yeah. Is, and so, but he's thirty. Yeah. So it just seems crazy and silly. And yeah. He's trying to like deal with it like an adult. He's trying yeah. to swallow it, but at every turn, it's like. And here, and essentially, like Megan Mullally is kind of like changing his dad. Yeah. And so it's like, here's this new person trying to be my mob or or or. She's not trying to be his mom, but she's stepping into that role. He doesn't like it, but he can't really say anything because Penny's his friend. And that's, you know what I mean? So it was just like, how do you make this guy be petulant at 30 and act like a petulant five-year-old? And that was, I think, I tried to just put what I was feeling. You used your emotional truth. Yeah, Yeah. on top of it being crazy. Yeah, on top of all the crazy. But isn't it fascinating when you think about in life, like your story arc in your life? So it's like your trigger incident, your parents divorced. Your dilemma was suddenly you didn't feel comfortable in your own skin. Your pursuit is doing things like what you said, trying to be cool at school by acting mm-hmm. different than who you were. Right. I mean, that's it's fascinating. Yeah, you know it, def- what I mean? it definitely comes full yeah. circle. <laughs> yeah. It's like we look at our story arcs mm-hmm. in our own life and mm-hmm. how those arcs so connect. Oh, with absolutely. Story. Yeah, absolutely. stories we tell. That's great. Uh, let's see. So, how did the now I'm right on happy endings? Did the was the writers' room that much different than Brooklyn Nine Nine? The one interesting thing about happy endings was, and again, talking going back to the the, the very first we talked about in terms of like hiring people who you know and right. things like that. Um, is when I was on Scrubs that year, it was the year after they did the big finale. Right. They did that awesome finale, and this was the year that they were going to go to med school. So we had right. like Dave Franco and Carrie Bechet and. and uh, and Michael Mosley, who have all obviously gone on and done great, great things. Right. Um, um, but all of us sort of were had never worked on Scrubs before. Right. So it was like myself. It was run by this guy named Josh Bicell, um, and Jonathan Groff, who had done like Andy Richter, Andy Richter, or no, well, I forget the other the other Andy Richter show he did, right. where, where he was the pirate, like Andy Barker, PI. Right, right. And he had done a bunch of other pirates. And so anyway, um, we were on Scrubs. We all sort of like. We also didn't knew this was like this weird like like we always called our year like the Oliver year from like the Brady Bunch. Right. Like the first eight years were all the Brady's. Right. And we're cousin Oliver yes, coming of in being this like yeah, weird cousin that right. nobody likes. You're right. So we were sort of like that year of scrubs. But right. we all galvanized around that and we're like, I love you know. That. So we all were friends. And so Groff had a deal at ABC and Scrubs was at ABC. And right. when Happy Endings came up to go to pilot, they just partnered Casp and Groff together. Right. Well, um, a lot of times, what happens when a pilot's getting shot? I don't know if your viewers at home know this, but right. they're, they're like they they have a table read with the network and the studio, and then what happens before that is either pre that or post that, 
usually like you'll call your friends, other writers, and say, "Hey, hey, help me punch up the script before the read, or help me punch up the script after the read." Like, mm-hmm. what did you like? Like, what did like what did we need and things like that. So he had the happy ending script, and he asked like five other writers from Scrubs to like come help punch it up, like Excellent. add jokes. Love it. So it was the first time I had met Cass. So this was like in February, like they hadn't even shot it yet. So I got to meet. So a lot of us from Scrubs came over and did punch up. And I remember my wife. Uh, who was such an advocate for me, obviously, but I was going to a lot of these punch-ups, and she right. was like, do you have to go to every one? And I was like, look, he could give me a job one day. I'm going. If he says come over at midnight, I'm going. Right. And so we would go to all these punch-ups, and, I love this. and then the show got That's picked great. up, and then he hired like five of us from Scrubs. Yeah. And so to that point, it was so, again, a lot of us, knew each so half the writing staff right. had just spent a whole year together. And yeah. we all knew what each other did well. We all right. knew what our strengths were. And so again, so you're just so it was different in that obviously on Brooklyn none of us had, had known each yeah. other or worked together before. So yeah. there's so there's that part of it. You didn't the, have of, the instant camaraderie. Right. You didn't have the right. instant camaraderie and like no, this is sort of what to do and things right. like that. And but also again like Happy Endings is a relationship based show, yeah. so a lot of the stories are all going to be like like relationship y based, which versus is different. Like got versus the plot that right on, yeah. on on Brooklyn. So those yeah. are the those are obviously like the biggest the difference. Plot must be easier to to use thematically though. It's actually harder. Is it harder because most comedy okay. writers are not thinking about you're right about twists and most turns. Most comedy of a plot writers thing. are just character right. driven. Right. And right. even like right now, I'm like I'm writing. I'm in the phase of like breaking the pirate of my Kyle drama, and it is the hardest. Yeah part because it's like what's the twist and turn like what's the yeah like you can't tell if is this exciting enough is it right. too crazy right like what's the you know what i mean like yes. you, like it's always like what's the line like all the relationship stuff of my show and the humor yeah. like i'm it's it's very easy for me to come to like the plot i'm like what is the what like what are they yep. doing and what do they find here yeah. and, and what does this person t- it's like, isn't that interesting because drama writers i would say it's the opposite i remember i had a writer who had worked on friday night uh-huh. lights versus parenthood oh okay and he said parenthood was so much harder because it was character driven right moments right. versus Friday Night Lights, right. you're dealing with the, games the game and, this, yeah, right. and then the plot going on with it. Right. So it's interesting. Yeah, no, this has been yeah. like, like the hardest That's real. Part, so yeah. now you moving into drama. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be good. It is. That'll be it's great. Good. But it's, it's good. It's helped me like think of a new muscle and like yeah, use a new... Because yeah, because you're, you're kind of transitioning over right. through being on this show. Right. So I think that, I think the timing of that is phenomenal. Yeah. Okay, before our last question, I want to ask you about The Hustle. Sure. And what was that experience like? It was great. I mean, obviously, it was great in lots of ways. I got to run my own show. Excellent. Um, you know, like, Fuse was great. I mean, there obviously were upsides of being a f- their first scripted show. Right. And there were obviously downsides of being their first scripted show. Right. But a lot of the huge upside, obviously, is, is because I got to sort of operate they gave me a lot of freedom to be able right. to do kind of whatever I got. I wanted to do. Like we did six episodes, and we got to. It was a good show to like learn to be a showrunner on, right? Because we were doing six, Excellent. so and we had yeah. and we had to write them before we shot them. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to like be in post and help break and do. I got to like like we got to write them all ahead of our time. Like like write them all ahead. I think we went into production and we were finishing like the last script that first week of production. But for the most part, I didn't have to do any posts at the same time and you know what I mean? Yeah. And and they were very again very trusting and um 
it was just such a great and again like the cast was it was funny because the cast was all new like I went to cast all newcomers right and uh, because I wanted obviously that to you know resonate that they personally are new actors and yeah. they're in the show that's their whole thing is that they're, they're trying to like get their big break great um, so, 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 so like so thematically I wanted those things to line up right um, and I, again like you get to make like you get to sink or swim on your own thing and I got to apply a lot of the things I learned from showrunners and try to uh, you know like do what I find your voice within that find my voice and and the best thing was was you know I'd come off comedy and so um, in terms of like having a, scenes have to have a blow and then they have to have a lot of jokes and the, right. the and, and this is even what got me into wanting to pursue drama right. was writing The Hustles I couldn't write a scene that had no jokes I could just write to the truth of the moment without yes. it feeling like it had to be jokey I could just yeah. write like real and just let it and obviously there, there's humor in the show right. but for the most part I could just write how I felt people yeah. really talking about because again it's not it's not a sitcom in, yeah. in, in, the, in the traditional way um, and so that was very freeing to be able to be free of doing that it was just creatively such a great again such a great a great experience and a great time like I have no and that was six episodes we did six episodes yeah. and how uh, I almost feel like everything in your career when I look at the whole arc of it it's like it's happened perfectly it's, it really has it really like, I've learned that I've learned that like you know, it depends. I mean, look, if you're religious or not religious, like whatever right. you believe in or don't yes. believe in, I'm yeah. not here to obviously push that. I believe that, you know, God gives you everything at the yep. at the right time that you're ready for it. And just because it doesn't happen right now, it doesn't mean yep. not ever. It just may mean not now. I'm yeah. getting something better prepared for you. And, and even when I think about when I first started, it was like I wasn't ready. Like yes. even at all those because I, I always loved TV. Right. But when I graduated from college, I was putting off television. Right. And I was putting it off because I knew when you're a TV writer, you got to be in a room with other funny, other TV writers. And I just kept wondering, like, what if I'm not good enough? Like, yes. what? And so the thought of, That's like, honest. trying to pursue yeah. my dream and, like, being crushed if I'm not good enough was just too much to handle. Right. So I was like, I'm going to write movies. TV is, nobody wants to do TV. But I was really just lying to myself. You know what right. I mean? And then once I accepted I wanted to do it, um, I wrote like eight specs before like yeah. I even got the one to give me my job. But if I look at that spec now, I'm like, oh my god, who is this guy? This right. is you know, I'm, I'm, it was good enough to get my first job. But right. now if I look at it, I'm like, oh, oh this is a problem. With every a, script you write, you right. get better. But I had it's written like eight bo- exactly. Yeah. But I had written eight before that that yeah. were not good enough. Yes. And if and if I had shown those, you know what I mean? Like everything yeah. sort of happened at the right good at the right moment. Right in time. juncture. Yeah. 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 No, that is fantastic. Okay, for our very last question, I cannot tell you how excited I am for the listeners to hear everything that you talked about. Like oh, I hope it's just so <laughs> great. No, really, really terrific. Okay, so for the very last question, I am curious if you were to narrow down all that you learned mm-hmm. to three points every writer should know about how to succeed in comedy, what would they be? Um, it's funny because you sent me the list and I yeah. was like, oh, I don't know. What the, I was like, let me just make sure like I have something to say. And I was like, oh, I'm glad I did look at the list. I, I was know, like, I'm glad you I said, did I, I was like, that last question, I was like, I hate to be up here. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh man. So uh, the three things I would definitely say are the most, at least the most important for me is one, be a good person. Nobody wants to work with like a jerk. Right. You know what I mean? Like don't, mm-hmm. don't like so much of this business is not even the job you're on. It's the how you act is how people will perceive you 
for other jobs. So yep. you're not just like so you're not just interviewing and when you're on a staff, you're not just staffing for that show. You're you're also like what you don't understand is you're staffing for every show because the writers you work with now, they're gonna continue to yep. like pursue and get higher, 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 higher. Yeah. And they're gonna get shows. And if you're a jerk to the staff writer, well that one day that staff writer may get a show. Right. And they're gonna remember yes. you didn't do this or you were mean to me or you were this. Right. And also too if that staff writer or that other person gets on another show and they ask, hey, how was it like to work with Prentice? You want that person to say, I loved him. He was great. Yep. Not, oh, I hate it. it were, so just be a good person. Nobody wants to be in a room all day with somebody who's a jerk. And also, too, for your career, it doesn't serve you. Good. You got to think past this moment, past yep. this job. Um, the second thing I would say is be prepared. Don't let anybody outwork you. And what I mean by that is, Always be writing, even on hiatus. Use that time, like even like right now. I'm like having like I'm writing a drama. I have another comedy. I'm supervising something. Like I'm like there's like like like, like the hiatus is I don't have to physically go into a job every day. The hiatus right. is I can go write at a hotel by the pool. I can go to a I can go outside at a park and write. That's right. That's my hiatus right. part. Yeah. But it's just means I don't have to go into an office. But yep. y- you really have no hiatus. Right. Like like, like if you're not writing, somebody else is. Yeah. And that means they're gonna get something that you may not get because you're not ready. So my thing is it's a muscle. You always have to use. You, like you can't. It's always like when I hear athletes say, "Oh, I'll be ready for the playoffs." I can just kind of phone it in now. It's like, no, you have to be exercising that muscle to get into a routine. Like writing is muscle memory. Yep. And, and if you're not doing it, then it's hard to gear back up. It's hard to do those things. And so I would say that be prepared to work, not just in the room when you're on a show, but be prepared to work when you're not on a show. Yep. Because in Excellent. this business, you have yeah. a shelf life. Yep. And I don't know too many 60-year-old writers on staff. You got, you got, I always say it's like the drug game. You got to yep. get in and get out. You got to yep. sell your big drugs and you got to get out of this because yep. it just doesn't work that way. You got to yep. strike hot and strike hard. Yeah. And so, so that's what it's always be prepared to work. And my last thing would be, and I learned this on Girlfriend, is that don't have your own agenda in the show. And what I mean by that is the showrunner, you are there at the service of the, sh- of the showrunner who created the show. Yep. That's your job. Your job is to, is to be at their service when they need you. And I, I always tell young writers, and, and once I realized this, it helped me, I learned that the showrunner to me is like a painter. Is like a, like a Da Vinci or whatever, and every writer on that show, and this may sound corny, but I believe it's true that every writer on that show is a color, right? And that showrunner is trying to paint a picture mm-hmm. every episode. They're trying to paint a picture, and this episode, like this week, they might want more blue, right? That they might want more of this other writer's color, right. and not as much as yours. Yes, they may go four weeks and be in a red period where they don't want to use any blue. Yes, and your job is not to not stop being blue. Right. Your job is to continue to pitch and continue, even if you're getting nothing in. That's not the point. Your thing isn't like you aren't paid in whether or not your pitches get in or not. And I know it's hard when you see other people pitching and you're like, I want my stuff in there too. But that's not why you're there. Like, hey, like you're not there to get stuff in. You're there to be of service to them yep. because you want to be ready. Because if you start having a funky attitude that you're not being painted, well, when that painter says, you know what, actually. I need more blue now. And you're not even in a mindset to be being able to be blue because you're so funky that you you weren't in four other paintings. Right. Then it's like you have a crappy attitude and it shows. And so all your job is there is to be ready and willing if the showrunner needs you or wants you. Your job is to always be throwing stuff out. It's not to have your ego crushed. If you don't get something in, I mean, look, we're human. 
So that happens, but you got to be like a like a relief. Like you got to shake that stuff off and just always be pitching, always be pitching, yeah. always be available. So again, don't have your own agenda because when it's your show, you certainly wouldn't want some other writer saying, "Well, so and so is not using my pitches, so I don't want to. I don't want to help. I don't want to whatever." You know what I mean? And right. so it's like that's like you're hired to be of service. So be of service. It's yep. not about you. It's not about what you get in. It's not about telling people. I again because. A showrunner can see how you're pitching, the stuff you're pitching. They don't – I've never met a showrunner that's like, oh, I didn't put five pitches in. I'm going to keep track of that. Right. I mean, there's crazy showrunners, obviously, but most of the show – I've never been on a show where, you know, that doesn't get – that doesn't that gets mentioned or not. What does get mentioned is, is so-and-so available? Is so-and-so good to work with? Is so-and-so always ready? You know what I mean? Like, what's yep. their – so it's like I've never been – I've never heard – a showrunner privately and then the more I the more I've the more I've risen up the more I'm in those conversations in terms of hearing what other showrunners are saying because they're asking me my thoughts about writers or this or that and so they see what's happening even if you don't think that they're seeing and if your attitude is crappy because you're not getting your pitches in mm-hmm. well it shows so, yeah and again your job is not to get pitches in mm-hmm. your job is to pitch yep it doesn't matter if they get in or not Right. It's up to them. Yeah. So, again, your Great. job is just to be available. Excellent. Love that. Love that. Wow. There's so much incredible information here. I'm so, so excited. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. For joining Absolutely. us. Absolutely. This has been fantastic. We are here with Prentice Penny of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and you have to tune in and watch this show on Fox. It is absolutely phenomenal. It's coming back when? Uh, I'm sure this fall. I mean, at some fall. point. Yep. Yep. We go back to work in a couple of weeks. Okay, great. All right, so let's see. A few upcoming events to let you know about. I have my five-week StoryWise pilot teleseminar that begins on May 6th at 7 p.m., May 6, 2014, at 7 p.m. And next, I've got the Great American Pitch Fest in June, so I'll give you more information about that as it gets closer. And also another upcoming event is the Story Expo in September. Highly, highly recommend these events. For writers, there is an incredible group of speakers that will be speaking at both events, and I'm very honored to be a part of them. So I want to thank you for joining us. This is Jen Grisanti of StoryWise Podcasts. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions. This podcast was recorded at the studios of Icebox Logic.